This episode is brought to you by Confluence. Confluence is a professional consulting firm comprised of landscape architects, urban designers, and planners. Their staff of 70 plus includes 39 licensed landscape architects and AICP certified planners. Confluence is comprised of energetic, creative, and passionate people who are involved in making our communities better places to live. They assist clients on a wide range of public, educational, institutional, and private sector projects. You're listening to the Booked on Planning Podcast, a project of the Nebraska chapter of the American Planning Association. In each episode, we dive into how cities function by talking with authors on housing, transportation, and everything in between. Join us as we get booked on planning. Welcome back, bookworms, to another episode of Booked on Planning. If you're caught up on episodes, you know that earlier this month, we talked with Rocky Piro and David Rouse on their new book, The Comprehensive Plan, Sustainable, Resilient, and Equitable Communities for the 21st Century. The book is a great how-to for comprehensive plans that addresses all the changes that have occurred in the field over the past decade or so. One of those important changes that we're going to dive into today is the need to really integrate plans. And here's a real quick soundbite from Rocky and David from that episode on how important it is to have all our city plans integrated. We're actually aware we saw this with some of our research that there are jurisdictions that have adopted plans over time and they continue to adopt plans. And there isn't always a clear understanding of which plans are active at a particular point in time. I know we looked at... uh, a couple of jurisdictions in my home state of Colorado that actually have dozens and dozens of municipal-wide plans. It's just not a clear understanding of of how these plans relate to each other. So I'd say if for no other reason, you know, having a single unified comprehensive plan document that's organized around foundational issues of sustainability, equity, and resiliency allows you to address the full array of issues in, in a single resource. And in keeping with the spirit of integrating plans, this short episode covers an American Planning Association planning advisory service memo on building resilience through plan integration. The memo builds on the plan integration for resilience scorecard or the PERS developed by Jamie Masterson and Phil Berkey at Texas A&M University. We actually spoke with Jamie Masterson for our planning for community resilience episode. If our listeners are interested in learning more about her work. This memo provides a good deep dive into how to create and then actually use the PERS. So Jennifer, what are some of the reasons given in the article for why communities don't integrate their plans? The benefits of doing so would seem pretty obvious. I agree that the benefits are obvious, but communities face multiple challenges in integrating their plans, actually. The APA conducted a recent survey, and some of the major challenges respondents identified are a lack of requirements and incentives, complexity of network plans, which increases the number of things to consider, placing a larger burden on staff time and resources, multiple groups of people that have to communicate and collaborate with each other to integrate the plans, and of course, staff capacity and financial support are always a problem. And finally, the difficulties of including conditions in future scenarios that may have inverse impacts on an area. So a lot of reasons 
not to do it, but there's one way to overcome the hurdles, which is the PERS, which you had described earlier. And it was developed to better understand spatial impacts of plans, goals, and policies within constrained financial budgets and limited staff capacity. This approach was really new to me when I read it. And I just thought that the only real way to know whether your plans work together or not was to read through all of them and then analyze how they work together or how they're at odds. I think the default for many communities is just to adopt all of these other small area plans or hazard mitigation plans into the comprehensive plan, but not to actually really consider what's in them to know whether one plan might be saying, you know, take advantage of the riverfront for outdoor dining and activities, like an economic development approach, while another is saying we need to retreat and move back from the river from a sustainability approach. It's a new concept to me as well. Most of the comprehensive planning experience I have has been more with small towns where we only had like maybe one to three plans to look at overall. So it was easier to see where there might be planning discrepancies and gaps. So I've never had to really think about integrating much beyond that. I think you are right, though, at least from what I can tell, many communities of like mid and larger size have even have different departments that commission different studies And none of the studies are ever really tied together. And sometimes you're even surprised to find out that those studies exist at all when you go to start a project. And as the memo points out, that can create difficulties when conflicting plans are in place. The planners involved have to figure out which plan takes priority or how to harmonize the provisions of each plan. And really, that's typically happens because there's some kind of like external pressure, like developers coming in or some kind of change needs to happen. So the way this model works is that the text of each plan is translated into layers on a map that allows the users to view the major sources of friction or conflict amongst the plans, allowing them to correct one plan or the other to make them align with this one cohesive vision. It's a model geared towards understanding how all city plans impact the goals of resilience and climate adaptation. The PERS has three steps. The first is to create the scorecard, then you conduct the analysis, and then you advance the plan integration and resilience. It seems easy enough, but I think that that first step is what could be challenging for many communities without a dedicated GIS staff. Yeah, it would probably be somewhat cost prohibitive if a community needed to hire a GIS consultant. To create the scorecard, the planning team first needs to gather up-to-date planning documents from the respective departments and identify policies that have the potential to impact resilience. The PERS guidebook provides a simple test to help determine relevant policies. This includes the presence of a policy tool, presence of a mappable space-specific term, and the potential to reduce or increase vulnerability to hazards. Then the planning team creates a district hazard zone mapping layer by combining the designated planning district and the specific hazard zone, like the 100-year floodplain. Finally, the team will need to assign each policy a score, typically negative one for a negative impact, zero for neutral, and positive one for a positive impact. I think of one person in particular working for a city of Lincoln where we're at that would be just a rock star at trying to gather all this data. And if he's listening, I'm sure he'll he'll know who we're talking about. Yeah, I just watched him create a very interesting food score. Ooh, I'll have to take a look at that. So step two is to use tables to show the total value from the policy scores for each district, hazard zone, and plan. Along with those tables are the policy score maps to use where the conflict points are for each district, hazard zone. 
Then the work begins to really look through all the effects of individual policies in each area. A highly recommended part of the step is to look at the physical and social vulnerability using an overlay map to see the crossover between high vulnerability and low policy attention areas. Physical vulnerability being, for example, flood susceptible housing stock in the floodplain and social vulnerability being characteristics for community members who are prevented from accessing resources or opportunities to prepare for withstand or recover from a natural hazard event. After all, the point of integrating the plans and conducting this analysis is to identify the areas where, despite all of the plans existing and having been commissioned, vulnerabilities still exist. Which leads us to the final step, updating plans so that they include the newly improved policies and resolve conflicts and presenting the results to local officials and stakeholders so that they can begin prioritizing the areas of need. So the way we've been talking about this model is that it's applied after the fact to find the discrepancies, but the authors of the PAS memo point out that it can be very helpful before the completion of a plan or a plan update. I think it makes sense to do that after the fact if your plans have been adopted for a little while to make sure there aren't any inconsistencies. But if you're just starting the process to update or draft a new plan, it would save a lot of time on the back end not having to go back and make sure the plans all work together. I would think that when starting a climate action plan, sustainability plan, or hazard mitigation plan, that this should really be step one. Figure out what's out there and how it may negatively impact the work to create a more climate resilient future. I think that as we start facing an ever-changing environment, it will be vital that all plans and updates begin with this framework in mind. Consistency is so important for plan implementation. Plans that conflict with the realities we are actually facing pose a danger to communities. Plus, having harmonious plans can really help when reviewing development applications. It can be difficult, if not impossible, to guide an applicant when there are conflicting policies. Yeah, that's very true. And it can create a lot of frustration for the applicants when they aren't sure exactly what they should be doing. Absolutely. The memo outlines how to get going on this type of work to alleviate the concerns that a full PERS analysis is too overwhelming, overwhelming to bother doing. First, you start small with just a single project, reviewing, for example, how a development review application addresses not just zoning codes, but the climate adaptation plan. In reviewing the memo, it wouldn't have occurred to me to start at such a small scale, but I think it's a great approach for departments without the capacity to run that full-blown analysis. You can get comfortable on a much smaller scale reviewing how one site is impacted by various sets of plans and whether those plans work together in their guidance, or they're conflicting. You could start noting those conflict points, and then when you do have the capacity, use those data points as your starting point for the overall analysis. I think our first instinct is often to jump in feet first, but that can get really overwhelming quickly. So getting the process in place with a smaller project will allow planners to take advantage of any future triggers like a new plan or plan update or a code revision, because then they'll have some experience and understand how to wrap their arms around the project. But I also think that it creates an excellent way to start advocating for plan integration and climate resilience considerations earlier in the process in general. Another implementation step for the memo was related to engagement, making sure to bring together not just internal, but external groups as well. Ensuring community members, stakeholders, and other agencies are all represented in the discussions around resiliency and how our community plans are working towards that goal. 
The authors mentioned the PERS method provides the structured environment and gives tangible problems to solve. With maps that highlight the problem areas, participants can better visualize and add value to the process. It also allows them to fact check the model, in my opinion. Community members especially can add their lived experiences to say the area that looks fine on the map, but they're actually experiencing XYZ problems. That's an excellent point. As with any planning endeavor, of course, it's important to remember that models are a great starting point, but the real work is actually getting into the community and making sure that your models are accurate or learning that your models are not accurate and actually identifying where your data broke down. One question I had after reading this past memo, though, was whether this PERS method is valuable for communities that don't have a climate action plan. I think most communities have a hazard mitigation plan, so I would assume that could be the basis for the resiliency analysis, but some are older and far more technical documents without a lot of text devoted to goals and visions for climate resiliency or adaptation. I wonder if there's a way to use the PERS method to start the conversation around planning for resiliency that could then lead into the development of something like a climate action plan. Actually, Stephanie, that, that's a really great point. So from my perspective, this was a great memo. It provides a lot of easily digestible information that could allow communities to start integrating resiliency into their plans and taking the steps to create climate action plans. And if this has piqued your interest in resiliency and climate planning, we have covered a lot of these topics in our prior episodes. So we have an easily searchable episode list at bookdownplanning.com. And make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn for more information and articles on the topics we cover. We hope you enjoyed this article episode on the Paz Momo Building Resilience Through Plan Integration. If you want to download a copy, head to planning.org and search using the article title. Remember to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Please rate, review, and share the show. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on Booked on Planning. <laughs>